0: To 1 through 17 we're reading the entire chapter and this whole chapter it is probably one of the more difficult chapters in all of the epistles if you get bogged down in the weeds so when I just encourage this let's look at what is Paul trying to do here what is his intent what's the purpose and then what does God have for us what's his purpose for us as well let's let's hear God's word now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ And are being gathered together with him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Either by a spirit or by a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless ones by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, bro- brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He calls you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word that brings peace. Thank you for the gift of your word that brings reassurance, that brings comfort, that brings encouragement, that brings hope and clarity. God, I pray that you would you would do that this morning that you would bring your hope and encouragement and clarity and comfort this morning to us. Would you do that through your word would you turn us to listen for your voice to hear you. And Lord may we maybe walk away from this not just hearing you but applying your word. Lord do all of this by your holy spirit we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well the month before my 5th birthday I just started going to kindergarten on my own. I was riding the bus and I rode the bus to school and I came home from school and I went to go into the front door and no, the front door was locked, so no big deal. I went around to the side door, the side door is locked. That's a little strange. I went around down to the basement door, that was locked, that was strange. And then I started panicking. Um, I, I, it, was, it was September of whatever, 1977. Okay, so that dates me a while ago. And I, I started panicking and I started banging on the doors. And then I went to every different door and banged and I looked in the windows and banged on the windows and I, and, I, and I realized everyone was gone. No one was home. And then I went to my neighbor's house and I tried their door. Nobody was home. Went to the other neighbor. They were Christians and surely they would answer the door for me. They weren't home. They didn't answer. I panicked and my mind started playing tricks on me. A year or two before that, there was this book called The Late Great Planet Earth. I would not recommend you read that. Um, It's not full of truth, but it really affected the culture and there was two primetime tv specials i remember when i was four years old um there was a primetime tv special about the the end times and that jesus was coming back any moment and that you could be left behind don't be left behind there's gonna be this secret thing that happens jesus is gonna take people away and then you might be left behind and i was terrified and i thought this day that i was left behind that's what had happened I didn't know any better. I hadn't read the Bible very well. I didn't know the truth of God's word. I didn't know that it wasn't going to take me by surprise. I didn't know that I didn't need to be afraid, but I was shaken. I was alarmed. I was deceived. It's easy to be deceived when you don't know the truth. It's easy to be deceived when you don't have a handle on truth, when you don't remember the truth. And even today, it's easy to be frightened by things when you forget the truth. The Thessalonian church—they—they'd forgotten what was true. They were frightened because some people had come and told them that that maybe Jesus has really returned, but you're not part of those who've been called up to be with Him, and that was having an effect on their life. They'd already been attacked by persecutions and afflictions in the church. Now they're being attacked in in their minds, in the intellect, and they're being told that what you really understood before isn't really true, but what the Apostle Paul really meant, what the apostles really meant, what the the Bible really teaches is this. And they'd begun to believe a lie, and they were becoming alarmed. And and Paul wants to warn them, and he says, "Don't, don't, don't be shaken. Don't be shaken, don't be alarmed, because often at times the the intellectual battle is actually even more severe than the battle that we have when it comes to suffering and affliction. It's the battle against falsehood, against deceit, because there is a lawlessness at work. Constantly assaulting and assailing our senses. And so into that mix, Paul, that was the same as same true for the Thessalonians, the same as true for us today. And so into that mix, Paul tells me he says, he says, don't be shaken, don't be shaken by deceit about Christ's return, but, but stand firm in the truth of God's word. Don't be shaken by deceit about Christ's return. It has actual effects on your life if you are, but he says, stand in the truth of God's word you might be wondering, well, where am I getting this big idea? Where am I getting this big pass, big big point from? Well, it's right from the passage. I want you to look down your Bibles with me. Look at verse 2. He says, don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. And then what's, what are they alarmed and shaken by? By falsehood, by people claiming to come in the name of Paul, by claiming to have a word or a letter or, or, or a prophetic word by the Spirit. He says, don't be deceived or shaken by falsehood. Look at verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you. And then verse 5, he says, do you remember what I told you? He's putting it back to the apostolic word. So, so far we see a theme here about truth and what do we believe. And our relationship with the truth has an effect on whether we're shaken or not. And he says, don't you know what's restraining the man of lawlessness? You know, you remember verse 9, he says, the lawlessness is going to come with the power of Satan's deception with false signs. Why? Because they reject or they refuse the truth. They didn't love the truth. Verse 11, it says, they refuse to love the truth, so God sends a delusion. And because they love the lie, they love unrighteousness, they love what's not true, they're condemned. Verse 13, it says, God chose you through the spirit of sanctifying work and belief what? Look at verse 13, belief in, you can say it aloud. the truth. And then in verse 15, he says, stand firm in what you've been taught by us, in in what we've spoken to you, or what you've gotten in the letter, and nothing else. Stand firm in this apostolic word. And then he closes by praying that God might establish them in every good work and word. There's there's a theme that runs throughout us that he wants us to see. Don't, Don't be deceived by untruths, in particular about God's jesus's return don't be deceived but instead stand firm in the truth and that really applies to the whole christian life he says don't be deceived by deceit about christ's return but stand firm in the truth of god's word and and the first thing we're going to see is that that the people were being shaken and into the midst of that shaking he says don't be shaken he says don't be shaken the return of christ hasn't happened yet don't be shaken jesus hasn't come back yet there hasn't been some secret return of Jesus, it, and you might think, "Well, that's really far fetched. No one believes that now." Well, there's at least seven million people that are part of a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses that believe that, and, and they had a, a so-called prophecy in the late 1800s that Joseph Russell, the guy who founded the Jehovah's Witnesses, that that the return of Christ would come by 1914. Or actually, it was the first of the second first date, and then it, they moved the date back when that didn't happen. It was 1914. And then when that didn't happen, his successor said, well, the reason why is because it was a secret return, and it wasn't a bodily return, it was a spiritual return, and, and their whole faith is, is based on this falsehood, this lie, this deceit. But sometimes we can functionally live as if Jesus isn't coming back. We can live as if it's so far off that it has no bearing and no effect on our lives, we can be deceived that way. Or we can be deceived and, and, and lack confidence, not thinking that we're going to be a part of when he comes back, when he returns. But he says, don't be shaken. The return of Christ, that hasn't happened yet. Now, as we come to this passage, I want you to be aware there are so many different opinions that people read into this passage. That you can read into all kinds of eschatology or end-time studies. You can read into all different kinds of views. and There's all kinds of different labels you can associate with that from from premillennial to dispensational premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, um, preterist, historicist, whatever. Um, Don't get bogged down by those things. That's not the intent of why Paul's writing. The intent of why Paul's writing is already very clear. He writes because he wants us to stand firm in the truth. He's not writing to satisfy all our curiosities about the end times specifically. He's not writing to give them more information because you already know what I told you. Now, the bummer is we really don't know exactly what he told them, but we don't need to. What we do need to know is that we can stand firm in the truth. You won't find any of these labels, by the way. You won't find any of the common labels in this passage that people apply to this passage. You're not going to find anything out about the, the millennium either way. And It's not because that's not what the intent of the passage is. It's, you know, I... I, I a couple years back I went hunting on a friend's property and a lot of the property had been clear-cut and then what had grown up in this place was weeds that were like eight feet tall and you didn't really realize that from the tree stand to you get down and you start trying to walk in it and you really can't see and you lose your way and, and all you can see is the weeds And you think I'm not going to be successful I'm not going to get what I'm I'm here for I'm not going to get the target I'm not going to be able to hit some deer because I can't even see them because there's too many weeds here and so I did that for like a quarter mile and realized this is really futile and then climbed a tree stand. And then I could see, oh, oh, I can see the whole landscape. I can see the whole lay of things. And that's, that's what we're meant to see when we come to passages like this is what does this passage have to say about the truth of God's word? He, he wants them to see the bigger picture, not fall for lies or falsehood. What's, what's really clear, he says, is that Jesus is coming back and that he's gathering us together with him. He's going to gather us together with him. That's, that's good news, isn't it? Jesus is going to come back, and he is going to gather us together with him. But some people there, they were probably afraid that, that he'd already happened, that, that he already had come back. Maybe some were thinking that he never was going to come back. And so they were saying, you know, what's the point of life? This false teaching was already spreading because it, that's what the devil does. When the truth comes in, the devil tries to attack the truth and bring false teaching in to deceive, to unsettle, to disturb. And that's what he's done to this church. And Paul says, don't be shaken from your moorings. Don't, it's, it's like a bo- boat that's tethered at harbor and it's moored there. And he says, don't be shaken away from your moorings to the truth. Re- remember what I've told you. Don't act like Jesus has already returned. Don't be deceived. You know, for us, maybe you're not thinking that way. You're thinking, I, I, I can't even picture the idea of Jesus' return. And so your deception is related to his return, is that you're living as if there's no tomorrow, as if there's no concern for eternal rewards or consciousness. And, and passages like this are meant to challenge us. Do we live for what matters most? Are we living to accumulate everything here now, or are we living to love God with all our hearts, mind, and souls, and love our neighbors ourselves? If you're living as if Jesus is never coming back, then you're going to accumulate all you can, try to make the best life now. Or are you paralyzed with fear? Are you thinking, I'm I'm not sure, I'm not certain? Paul gives a couple reasons why they shouldn't be shaken. He gives two reasons why they shouldn't be shaken. Look down your Bibles. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. And he tells us two reasons, verse 3 and 4. He says, first, the day of rebellion hasn't come yet. The reason why you know that Jesus hasn't returned is there's, there's going to be this day of rebellion. And that word actually is literally apostasy. There's, there's going to be an apostasy, a great rebellion, a great apostasy is going to come first. And then the second reason is because there's just going to be the man of lawlessness revealed. That hasn't happened yet. He says, I don't want you to be confused. Those things haven't happened. There's going to be this ultimate rebellion where this, there's a rampant idolatry and a rampant perversion, a rampant twisting of worship. And he calls it rebellion or apostasy because I don't think this is just talking about the world in general. This is talking about in the church. And where I'm getting that is that the word apostasy is almost always in the New Testament used to refer to people who walk away from the faith. And then it talks about later on in the passage where this man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. He's going to be revealed, and then he's going to sit in the temple. It's not a physical temple because everywhere in the New Testament, aside from The Gospels. every time Paul references the temple, he's talking about the church. And so there is going to be at some point in time, he says, don't be worried, Jesus hasn't come back yet, because before he does, there's going to be a great rebellion or apostasy. And that should bring some sobriety to us. It's meant to comfort, but it's also meant, hey, wait a minute, if there is coming an apostasy, let me make sure I'm not a part of that. How how do I be on guard against that? How do I make sure that, This is coming, this this man of lawlessness, this apostasy is coming. How do I guard against that? He's going to tell them. He's going to tell them that it's really those who walk away, they forget the truth, who fall prey. Those who are deceived. And he talks about this, the second reason is this man of lawlessness has not yet appeared. This man of lawlessness, he's going to appear. He's going to claim to be God. He's going to put himself in the place of God. He's going to exalt himself into the temple, which I believe he's talking about the church the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Why is Paul telling this? What he's he's telling this for is not so that they figure out, oh my, who exactly is this person? That's not the intent of the passage. If you're doing that now, that's not the intent. The intent is to say, hey, there's going to come a time. Don't be shaken even when this time comes, when this man of lawlessness appears, when it seems as if he's proclaiming to be God himself and, and it seems as if the church has walked away from the truth Don't be shaken. Why? Oh, because we're going to see in just a moment, there's somebody who has control over this man of lawlessness. You know, throughout uh, Christian history, lots of people have claimed to figure out who this man of lawlessness is. Um, Prior, at the very beginning, they might have thought it was Antiochus Epiphanes, this, this emperor who set himself up, went into the temple about 168 BC and And he proclaimed himself to be God. And maybe afterwards, they would have thought it was Emperor Titus. And all throughout history, they've identified different characters from from Genghis Khan to Muhammad. In the Middle Ages, some Franciscans saw this person as the Catholic Pope. And then in return, the Catholic Pope called the Emperor the Antichrist, vice versa. Martin Luther called the Pope the Antichrist. And then the Pope called Martin Luther the Antichrist. And then since the 1800s, it was political figures. There's people like Napoleon or Hitler or Mussolini or, you know, whoever you want to fill the blanks in have been identified as the man of lawlessness. Now, to some extent, all of those are prefiguring the ultimate man of lawlessness. But Paul is telling them, and he's, I believe, telling us as well, that don't don't worry, this hasn't, the the ultimate man of lawlessness hasn't gone back. There is a lawlessness at work currently. That's what he tells them. There's currently at work this, this mystery of Lawlessness. The secret lawlessness that's against God is at work. He says, Don't worry, Christ hasn't returned yet. But when he does, there's going to be a greater rebellion, and it's going to be very obvious. That's what he's saying. Don't don't worry, Jesus hasn't returned. It's going to be very obvious. It's going to be an order of magnitude. It's going to be recognizable if you are a Christian. And you don't need to be fearful or alarmed when it comes. Jesus hasn't abandoned them, and he's not abandoned you. You're placing your faith in the truth of the gospel. You have reason to not be alarmed, to not be shaken, not be deceived, which leads us to the second reason for confidence and comfort that he's, he's trying to give them. The second reason for confidence and comfort he wants them to see is don't be shaken because remember that Jesus has all power. That's what he wants to see. Don't be shaken, Jesus has all power. This man of lawlessness, you might think, oh no. And maybe today as you are reading the news, and you're thinking, well, maybe this is, this is the time. Because you look at the church, and many in the church today are going away from the truth and embracing lies. They're embracing lies about our very creaturehood, about who we are, about our identity. And you think, how in the world could that happen? It's so clear that we're made in God's image as male and female. How could the church embrace lies? But there's a work of lawlessness going on. And even if, it, if this was the end now, He wants us to see that we don't need to be shaken. We don't need to be fearful. Jesus has all power. He says, don't you remember when I was with you that I told you these things would happen? Don't don't be alarmed. These things are going to happen. He's not writing writing to raise more questions. He's writing to remind them what's really true. He's not just giving them information. He says, remember what I told you? And then he gives some details. But what he's pointing them back to is his apostolic teaching. He says, don't you remember what I told you? When I was with you? What's the basis for your belief is what he's saying. Are, are your, is the basis for your belief what is the apostolic message or is the basis for your belief what somebody else tells you? question for us is what shakes you? What shakes What shakes us? What shakes you in your circumstances, your situations? Is that what shakes you? What shakes you out of your wits? What gets you thinking, oh no? What we need to see is that in the midst of Whatever might come, whatever lawlessness seems to be reigning, whatever work of lawlessness that's occurring in the world around us, we can see that Jesus is control. And he's telling them to calm their minds with God's word. Remember what you've been taught. Calm your minds by remembering the truth of what God's word is. What's the apostolic teaching? Which, which, which by the way, for us now is the, is the Bible, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the apostles wrote about the old testament and that's what's going to keep us from being shaken out of our minds out of our wits and then he tells the Thessalonians he says you know what's already restraining him now he doesn't detail what that is because he's already spoken to them and that's where people begin to speculate and they're like whoa what is this restraint ultimately what we do know is that the the one who is over whatever means that is used to restrain the lawless one right now it's God himself he says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. You know that. He says what you're seeing here is a mystery of lawlessness. It's not the very end. But they were wondering, could it be? Because there was bad things happening. They were enduring persecution and affliction. But he says only he who restrains it now will do so until he's out of the way, until those restraints have been removed. What's he wanting to see? see he wants him to see that God is ultimately in control. God is ultimately in charge of, of whatever means he uses to restrain the man of lawlessness. And when that restraint is removed, it will be because God removes it. So we're not be shaken, knowing that God's ultimately the one who restrains. And he's the one who removes restraints. That time, and right now, lawlessness seems to abound Loving falsehood seems to abound. People have proclaimed that truth is relative, that their feelings and their desires dictate what's right and true and good. There's a permissiveness that elevates kind of all manner of sin in our society. It reinterprets God's laws as oppressive, even though God's laws bring freedom. But here's the thing, even no matter how bad things get, look in verse eight, it says, then the lawless one will be revealed, and you think, oh no, because it tells us how he's going to come. He's going to come in power. He's going to have all these false signs and wonders and seeming miracles that Satan enables. And this this one's going to be revealed. And you think, oh no, should the church be worried? But then look at the second part of verse 8. It says, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with a breath of his mouth. Not even a word, just a breath of his mouth. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I, this is not an epic battle. This isn't all of, you know, uh, Marvel in-game, Avengers in-game, whatever that was called, I can't remember the name of the movie, where there's this huge epic battle, basically the entire movie is this epic, epic battle against the big bad Thanos, and they finally defeat him, but at great cost. No, this, this is all of the forces of the world. The man of lawless is coming with the power of Satan, the, the beast of revelation, really, and Jesus, just with a breath, whew, he's done. He's dead. It's, this is, this is, I, 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 I picture in my mind, you know, this, where there are the, all the forces of Mordor, if, you, if you're a fan of uh, the Lord of the Rings, all the forces of Mordor, there, it's at the last battle, they're all about to come and, and squash the Fellowship of the Ring. And then I, and, and then I just think, okay, here's that, that evil picture. And then Jesus comes, and he just steps down, whew, and they're done. And that's the picture of what will happen. It says he'll bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The lawless son will be revealed. And then Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth. Don't be shaken no matter what comes in this world. There's no power, no evil, no authority in this world. No emperor, no ruler, no deceiver that has power over Jesus. Take heart. Jesus is in control. The question is, do you believe that he's in control or are you fearful? Do you let the news around you create fear and anxiety and worry? Are you fretting that, oh no, what will happen to the church? What will happen to God's people? What will happen to me? What will happen to my children? Or do you see that he's the one with just the breath of his mouth? He obliterates the man of lawlessness. Are you motivated by this? Are you motivated by standing for the truth and preaching the truth so that others aren't condemned? He wants us to, to see that although the man of lawlessness is at work, Jesus has all power. And, and it's, don't be deceived. Don't go after this falsehood, these false signs, these false wonders. Deceit's serious, it's dangerous. Not to be trifled with. But Jesus ultimately is the one who's in charge. And, and what, what we believe about Christ's return has implications for how we live. And so, because of that, Paul tells him something else. He says, don't be shaken. He says, I want you to recognize the truth, and I want you to love righteousness. Now, he does that through a, a different way. He does it by saying that when people don't recognize the truth, and when they love unrighteousness, they're deceived. He, he says in verse 9, he says, The coming lawless ones by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why? Here's the thing he's zeroing in on. Because... Why are they perishing? Why are they deceived? Why are they misled by these false signs and wonders? He says, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Don't be shaken. Recognize the truth. Love the truth. This man of lawlessness comes with all kinds of of wicked deception as a parody of Christ. And he uses some of the same words that he would use of Christ's coming. So this, this man of lawlessness comes, Christ comes. This man of lawlessness comes as the antichrist. Jesus comes with signs and wonders, this man comes in false signs, false wonders. Jesus is going to be ultimately revealed, this one is revealed. He's contrasting truth and the lie. The man of truth, Christ himself, or the man of the world, the lies. And it's meant to wake us up, are we alert to deception, are we alert to... What we're hearing, what we're taking in. Are we, are we aware of what we're allowing to enter into our thinking, into our minds? Are we on guard? Are we standing firm in those things? Are we just kind of uncritically digesting what the world show, throws at us? and we, we stopping and, and recognizing identifying the falsehood and, and saying, hey, I don't want to love unrighteousness. I want to love righteousness. I want to love the truth. And if you love the truth, it's going to be manifested in what you're reading and what you're pursuing and what you're meditating on, what you're thinking about. But here's the Here's the consequence that happens in verse 11 and 12. Look down your Bible. It says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. God sends them a delusion. It's dangerous to refuse to love the truth. He says, so that they may believe what's false in order that all may be condemned. Who? Why? Why are they condemned? Because they didn't believe. Look in verse 12. They didn't believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's what we see all around us in the world today. People taking pleasure in calling good what God says is unrighteous and bad. Instead of believing the truth, people call the murder of babies a reproductive right. They call what is bad good by embracing every manner of perversion. Every manner of twisting in the image of God, they take pleasure in unrighteousness. And, and you can be, become subtly complacent to that. And he says no there's there is a condemnation coming for all who refuse to love the truth and take pleasure in righteousness. Stand firm recognize the truth love righteousness because rejecting the truth rejecting righteousness it leads to condemnation. But then he's he's continuing to give them assurance. And he says I don't want you to be shaken I don't want you to be confused. Stand firm in the truth. That's what we see in verses 13 to 17. Don't don't be shaken, stand firm in the truth. He says, We we ought to all, we we, we owe gratitude to God for you. We ought to always give thanks to God for you. Why, Why is that? He says, Because God chose you. Oh, that's good truth. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, it's because God's chosen you, and that truth is meant to give you assurance. He says, Because God chose you. What? As the first fruits? You're not the only ones. Thessalonians, there's going to be many more in your city, in your town, who God will bring. There's going to be many more over the ages that will be saved. And the the Thessalonians there, they're the first fruits, the early ones to be brought to God, to be saved. And then the means by which they're saved. He tells them, he says, through sanctification by the Spirit and what? Belief in the truth. That's how we can stand firm and not be shaken. Remembering what's true, God chose us. That He saved us, he sanctified us, and we've believed the truth. And that's what we put our hope and our faith in, not in any other falsehood. He says you're able to weather the heavy storms of life because the whole trinity is involved. Look look at these verses. He he calls on God that he gives thanks for, beloved by the Lord, meaning Jesus, and, and then sanctified by the Spirit. The whole trinity is involved in keeping you in the truth. The whole Trinity is active in you believing the truth. And so he's encouraging them. He says, to this truth, he called you through our gospel. Look down at verse 14. What is, what is the, the truth we have to hang on each and every day? We have to re- remember each and every day when we are condemned, when, when the world tells us that we're, that we're really unloving because we're not embracing what they say we need to embrace. Remind yourselves what's true. Remind yourself of the gospel. And all this is so we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what's true. What's more lasting is his rewards, his glory, than any kind of glory here on earth. And so he tells him to stand firm. And this, 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 this standing firm, it's, it's not relaxing, taking it easy. It's leaning into the truth. It's, it's being aggressive about, not, not only being aggressive towards people, but being aggressive by holding on, clinging on to the truth. Instead of being unsettled and alarmed and deceived, he says, stand firm. You know, brace against this this onslaught, the the waves of false teaching and lawlessness that crash against you. Stand firm in the truth. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. They could do this by holding on to what's objectively, reliably true. He's saying, plant your feet in the truth. Lean into it. Cling to it. Hang on to it. Like you're hanging on for dear life. <laughs> Just remembering, the, was riding a roller coaster. I think I shared the story before, riding a roller coaster. I thought that this, the harness was not secure because it wasn't at first. And then they were like, oh yeah, you're good. And i am like, but it's not clicking. It's not clicking. I mean, I hung on to those things so hard because I thought that's what's gonna save me. And I hung on, I was terrified the whole time. If I'd just known that it really finally did click at the last moment, that would have just made everything better. If I hung on, if I knew the truth, I, I wouldn't have been so frightened and alarmed. I have a truth, it's holding me, it's secure, I can hang on to it. He tells the Christians here, grab onto, cling to what's solid and secure, like you're hanging on for dear life. And what the church is to stand firm in. And he tells him, he says, he says, what I want you to stand firm is the traditions I taught you. And no, this is not teaching about the traditions of the church. What he's saying, the traditions is what I spoke to you in word or in letter. That's the traditions I want you to hang on to is what I've written to you in word and letter. And this is not setting up some apostolic succession. This is not setting up um, the, the Roman Catholic Church's idea of traditions of the church. No, he says, uh, the traditions I want you to remember are the traditions that have been taught to you handed down from Christ himself in the very word of God. He says, stand firm, cling to those things. And then he he prays in verses 16 and 17, he prays for them, what, that they might be established and comforted in every good work and word. You see, the truth is actually meant to have an effect on our lives. It's meant to result in us living for him each and every day. It's meant to propel us to good works. It's not just meant to be truth that we assimilate to our heads. It's meant to affect our hearts and then our hands. And that's what his prayer is for that church, and that's the prayer for our church. That we remember the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. It's by grace that we stand. May he comfort our hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Church of pastors like this is is not just meant to be intellectually stimulating to satisfy your curiosities it's meant to be applied it's meant to comfort it's also meant to help us expose the lies See, there's a consequence for believing a lie there, he wants them to stand firm but he shows them in the middle that there's consequences for those who don't so those who believe lies who are deceived do, do you love the truth are you standing firm in the truth have you allowed any lies of the world to enter into your thinking? What is the basis for your beliefs? We, we don't want to discourage questions in the church. We want to encourage you to ask all the questions and then ask them of the Bible and go to God's word for your answers because in there is life and godliness. But sometimes there's lies that we kind of hold on to, that we believe, either about ourselves or other people, about the things around us. There's kind of lies that we protect in our hearts, we hang on to thinking that we need I like this are meant to provoke us. What are we hanging on to? Is there anything we've been deceived by? Are we shielding anything from the light of God's word? Are we coddling sin in any area? Are we making room, making excuses? Are we embracing any falsehoods? Is the foundation for what we believe the, the apostolic word? You know, false prophets are not a threat most of the time because they sound outlandish, most of the time false prophets sound like what people want to hear. That was the greatest danger in the Old Testament was that there'd be false prophets telling people what they wanted to hear, people with itching ears wanted to hear. Tell them what would make them feel good about themselves. What the falsehood often masquerades as, as being loving or reasonable or kind. Falsehood's falsehood is deceitful. It never leads to truth. Only greater bondage and condemnation. So people who do that, who believe those falsehoods, it's not kind to leave them there. Because where does it end? It ends with condemnation. God giving them over what they want. So for us as believers, we can stand fast in the truth. And that's meant to affect our daily lives. When we're speaking to other people, are we speaking the truth? Are we giving them the truth that they need of God's word? Are we, are we helping them see the, the truth? Are we standing firm in that, reminding ourselves what's true? Are we reminding our children and our coworkers, our, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors? We remind ourselves what's true. Are we standing firm in the truth and girding ourselves in the truth? Are we encouraging one another in the truth? We need to be together to do that. That's why in Hebrews it says, you know, don't do like some and who are forsaking assembling together. Instead, remind yourselves. It, Encourage one another. Build each other up. As long as it's called today, we need this. We need to be reminded of the truth. Doctrine is not theoretical. It's meant to be practical. It's to be believed and trusted and then worked out into good works. Don't be shaken. Don't be shaken. Stand firm in the truth of God's word. We can stand truth firm in the truth of God's word because he's... If you're believing in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith, your trust in him, you can can be sure he's chosen you. What What a comfort that is. He's chosen you, he's called you, he's sanctified you by the Spirit. He's at work in you. He's gonna keep you faithful to the end. He's gonna enable you to stand firm by his grace. He's going to comfort you. He's gonna establish you. So far from... Getting bogged down in the weeds and seeing the details and getting fearful and afraid because you don't know the truth, let's press in even more. Because because the truth, when we know the truth of Jesus, the truth sets us free. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you don't leave us like afraid little children, but you instruct us, you give us your word. You give us comfort, you give us encouragement. God, I pray that you would comfort those who are fearful. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of of those who are deceived here to the truth of your good news of Jesus. God, I pray for those of us who are believers that you would open our eyes to where we have believed lies about ourselves, about others, about the world, about you. That you would set us free. Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us great encouragement and comfort that you have given us the truth of your word. We can rest in your word. We don't have to have it all figured out, but we can rest knowing that you care for us, you love us, you poured out your grace on us. Would you increase our faith and our hope in you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.